right, everybody. Good evening. Happy Friday, February 18th. Thank you so much for tuning in to Jackman Radio. And tonight is a uh, very momentous night. This is our 100th episode of Jackman Radio. And we are just so excited and appreciate all of you tuning in and being with us for this. And uh, I couldn't think of a better guest to help us celebrate 100 than the great Scott Horton. Scott, thanks for being here with us, man. Happy to be here. Congratulations, guys. Thank yeah, you. Like, like I said before the stream, I came prepared and we're doing this. Got it going on. Cheers to you, sir. We're saluting. Mike's got the champagne. I got a, a little bougie. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I mean, I'm working behind the scenes, Scott, to get us underwritten by Dr. Pepper. So that's part of why I'm doing this. I'm not I'm not talking shit. It's true that I really can't remember 100. <sighs> well, you've... I remember celebrating 700 episodes at antiwar.com back in about 2008 or something. And 100 of them were with Ron Paul. <laughs> yeah, and 350 of them are with Gareth Porter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And, and all of them, Mike, you just laid waste to all the neocons. Yeah, man. Your 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 takedown of William Crystal, I just uh I could cry. I'm so proud, quite frankly. I mean, he was people look right. at Freddy Krueger and Jason and Leatherface as people as uh serial, you know, serial killers and monsters. They got nothing on his kill count. I mean, that's true. It's a funny thing, isn't it, about wearing a tie and being a gentleman and ordering other people to go and kill other people. Yeah, um, It's a very light and easy thing for these guys. There's no accountability. They endure a little bit of public shaming, but they yeah. don't feel shame. So what no. difference does that make? He, he has you know that shit-eating I mean? crocodile grin from you know ear to ear, and he, he probably sleeps... Like a baby on his my pillow or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or the, the, the skin of the Iraqi children or something. Who knows? Yep. He no, I think that's true. Me. And and I don't think that uh, that Bill Crystal has ever really taken a moment to think to himself, "Ah, oh, man, the pain and suffering that happened because of that shit." I really wish I had not done that. You know what I mean? Like he didn't even take a minute to ever just stop and smoke a joint in his garage and think, like, "Oh man." I really agree with all the things I say all the time. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? He just never does that. He knows yeah. he's right. You heard him in that debate. He knows he's right. Nothing I said. I mean, everything I said, like you guys liked it, but none of it impressed him. He was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and the things you say, you didn't have to listen to me. You know what I mean? You and your little so. rebel scum will be defeated. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Emperor, Emperor There's no Crystal. other side of the story. There's just his side of the story. That's all, you know. Yeah, no, but that was it was great to see in any time a dressing drown of, down of one of those neocon scum that helped create and perpetrate one of the greatest um, disasters in human history is is a good thing. So yeah, hopefully, there can be, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been around for a while, yeah. Crystal. Yeah, he's the he's slime man. Slime doesn't die; it just kind of takes new forms, and now it's morphing into the Democratic Party, and you know, you got Victoria Newland and all them. So it's you know, it just it finds a way. Yeah, slime finds a way, Scott, you know. Yeah. Hey, listen, I recommend people read this old article from, uh, oh, I don't know, 2006 or something maybe. Uh, it's by Jim Loeb, the great neocon hunter, Jim Loeb. And it's called All in the Neocon Family. And it starts out, he's talking about Victoria Newland, Robert Kagan's wife. But he ends up talking about how, essentially, you could fit all the neocons at one big Thanksgiving table. And they're all the son-in-law of Gertrude Himmelfarb somehow or whatever, you know, they're all related in this, you know, um, the Crystals and the Abramses and the Kagans and the whoever, they're all related by marriage after the third generation or so at least. 
and you know the Podhoritzes and all these people. It's a very small group of people. We're talking 80, 85 men and women, mostly men, who make up this sect of weirdos who, you know, really successfully infiltrated and took over not just all the deputy positions inside the W. Bush government, but also all of the most important think tanks and all the most important media institutions all at the same time. So they just, in the W. Bush year, especially the first four years of W. Bush, but even after that too, they just completely dominated the discussion. And of course, Hannity and Bill O'Reilly were their echo chamber, well, all of Fox News, but especially led by those two, would just repeat whatever they said. And they had, you know, of course, the Weekly Standard and the National Review, and to a lesser degree commentary, but uh, especially those first two just completely locked down uh, essentially conservative thought and argument about all these issues. And then, you know, with Fox News and AM talk radio um, and all the guests are the think tankers from AEI and WinEP and CSP <clears throat> and PNAC and Heritage and whatever, they all just came. And I really, you're talking about a couple of hundred people who really led by 15 took the whole country to war. You know, it was not like, um, it was nothing like Afghanistan where, well, Al-Qaeda's there, let's go get them. I mean, that was kind of oversimplified enough to be wrong even when we could have negotiated and extradited and, and not even had a war at all. But still, that was rational, if not reasonable. We know what is going on there. Bin Laden and his friends are hiding out in Nangarhar province, okay? That's actually a thing going on. What's Saddam Hussein in Baghdad? What the hell's that got to do with anything? You know what I mean? <clears throat> Yeah, they, they had to absolutely willfully just lie to people for a year and a half. You know, right now, this is the 20th anniversary of them lying us into war in Iraq. And so, like, all year long, we should be commemorating all of the different major signposts. Like, this is the anniversary of when Jonah Goldberg wrote Baghdad to Linda Est. And this is the anniversary of when Dick Cheney went and lied to the veterans of foreign wars about how he needed their sons for a little while. I remember that. Um, I actually remember you know, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Cincinnati speech and whatever, like, the, you know, all the major signposts, all the major turning points throughout the year 2002. And I've been um, on anti, I mean, on Twitter, I've been doing this new hashtag Ramondo 20 years ago. And of course, Justin died in uh, June of 2019, but he was just the most important writer in America in 2002. I say so. And so I'm right. And that's it. And so what I've been doing is I've been taking the best of Justin as we go along now and then putting them out. And so we just uh, posted out Bizarro World was an absolute classic. And um, I forgot all the different ones, a bunch of them. But coming soon, I'm just licking my chops and I better not space out and forget the date <clears throat> when I do it because it's coming up in March is Our Hijacked Foreign Policy. Neocons Take Washington. Baghdad is next. And he just lays it all out. March of 02. Here wow. he calls it the Axis of Crystal. That's the first little sub headline in there. The Axis of Crystal, the little Lenin of the neoconservative movement, Justin calls him. And he's the one who's organized and got AEI and PNAC and all of these people on board for this project from his perch at the Weekly Standard with all his completely inane and insane and incorrect pronouncements about what's true and what must be done and how, you know, he had written all these letters, these open letters to Clinton and then now to Bush demanding a regime change in Iraq and all this stuff. 
It's just great. And when so for people who know now, I mean, I don't know, a lot of this is obvious now or something. I don't know. Maybe it's still not clear to people. But back then, I can tell you, I knew a lot about politics and power at that time. But I didn't know who the neoconservatives were. I did think it was kind of weird that that guy, Bill Crystal was a Republican because he didn't really seem like a Republican to me in the way that like I always thought of them um, as like, you know, either kind of right wing working class folk or rich waspy country club types. And I'm not saying like, oh, I could tell he was Jewish just by looking at him or something like that. But just he didn't seem to fit in with that kind of James Baker, the third George H.W. Bush kind of mold of what I thought. Or yeah, even Brahmin, that W. Bush and Dick Cheney, you know, right? Like that, yeah, the Brahmin kind of blue blood, kind of like the yeah, big, sure. big lantern head, and, and right, uh, and, yeah. And, so and who are these guys? They're all a bunch of obviously a bunch of soft-handed weenies. <laughs> but they they talk really tough, and they're obsessed with Iraq. And I knew yeah. that that was weird, but I didn't know that. No, yeah, see, they're all the sons of these Trotskyoids, and they all have this crazy ass ideology that puts Israel and Lockheed. Uh, Martin profits first and America last and that that's what's going on. Like I just, there was who in America in 2002 was even going to tell you, Hey man, there's different kinds of Republicans, bro. And this mm -hmm. kind you don't know about, but let me tell you. Okay. It was Justin. He was the guy. He was the most reliable source for that kind of, I mean, there were people who knew who the neocons were, but they didn't make it their business to explain it to you. Like it mattered. Hey guys, you need to understand Who's this funny little sect? Who is the Axis of Crystal? What are these men's names and what are they up to? What it is? Why is it that they're doing what they're doing? And and then he was the one with the answers. They're the vanguard of the Israel lobby in America. Yeah, they're taking just, us to war with Iraq for Israel. The Yanan plan. You know, right there. And they had the help of uh, a uh, powerful senator by the name of Joe Biden. Yeah, oh, they sure as hell did. He, I just want to say one more thing about that, which is I was just lucky enough to have been reading Romando then. And I knew he existed and I knew antiwar.com was out there. And right after September 11th, I didn't even have the internet. But beginning, I think, in right toward the beginning of 2002, I moved out of the place where I was, where the internet was so damn slow it wasn't even worth having. And I moved to a new place and I got a new computer and had the internet. And so I was able to start reading antiwar.com regularly in 2002. And that's how people go, huh, how do you know this stuff? I've been reading antiwar.com every day since 2002. I mean, that's the answer. I was exactly. reading Ramondo then and, and all the rest of them, Alan Bach and all these other heroes from that time. Ron Paul, of course. Um, yeah, and Knight Ritter. I mean, Knight Ritter was one of the only major publications yep. too, you know? That was yeah, they did, although it, that can't be brought up anymore without mentioning how Jonathan Landay has completely disgraced himself now by being a Russiagate truther. Him and oh, Strobel really? both. Yeah, they both been uh, horrible. Now you think about, now they did have Karen Katowski as a source. But also a lot of what they were writing then, they were good on it because it was the CIA was ratting on the neocons at the Pentagon. But so under that interpretation, there's still a lot of room left over for Jonathan Landay believes whatever the CIA tells him, whether it's true or right. whether it's not. And I think we've seen a lot of that. And I only say that as like a former friend who's now scorned and angry that like anybody who was a Russiagate truther deserves to, you know, someone should spit on their shoes when they walk yeah. by. I'm not getting a Christmas news. card, Mike, from Scott Horton. No, this year. I mean, just four years yeah, is straight sure. bullshit. Just five yeah, years man. is straight bullshit. How could anyone push that? How could anyone not see through that? You know, because well, they hated Trump so much that they, they had to tether themselves to it, you know, and there's, there's perfectly legitimate stuff to criticize Trump for. That wasn't one of them. That sure as hell was not it, man. 
Um, and you're right, though, too, about not to not to change the subject from Biden, because you're absolutely right that Joe Biden was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in 2002. And he was, in my estimation, the single most important Democrat in the country yeah. in helping George W. Bush get us into that war. And think about what we're talking about here. The upper house was controlled by the opposition party. The Democrats controlled the Senate. They could have just said no. And look, Nancy Pelosi in the House, well, she knew she was in the minority and couldn't have her way anyway, so it was easy to take a brave stand, right? If it had really been up to her, she probably would have voted for it. But anyway, at the time, the Democrats, the, the vast majority of the Democrats under Pelosi's leadership voted against the thing. But in the Senate, led by John Kerry, Gephardt and Daschle and Hillary Edwards. Clinton and, and uh, John Kerry, they all voted for it. And that we're going to, in fact... You know, John Kerry and Joe Biden had made the and Bill Clinton when he was the governor, which was less consequential. But still, this like stuck to his reputation a little bit. They three had all opposed Iraq War One. But everybody knows Iraq War One was great. Operation Yellow Ribbon. And it only took six weeks and it was a giant success. Which doesn't explain why we've been fighting there for 30 years ever since then. But anyway, um, 31 years. Um, but so. Politically, they had learned that mistake that like, boy, when you vote against an Iraq war, you look like a jackass later. So what's the solution to that? This is the two dimensional thinking of these Democrats. Now, Junior wants to go all the way to Baghdad and make the simple war from last time into something much more complicated. Hey, what could possibly go wrong? I better not. I better not make the same mistake again. While W. Bush is making obviously the biggest mistake in the world. I should not make the mistake of opposing it because that made me look like a weenie last time and everybody made fun of me, you know, that right. kind of thing. I mean, we're well, talking about John Kerry and and Hillary Clinton here, right? Like, oh, they made fun of Bill because he opposed the war. I don't want to ever have that. I don't, especially being a woman. She didn't ever want to be accused of being weak. And even right, after right. you think about, sorry, I'm skipping around, but that mentality is so prevalent among Democrats I mean, even John Kerry had been to war and back, you know what I mean? But still, they swift boated him and it worked because people just didn't believe him as a tough guy character, even as a combat veteran. You know what I mean? But so with Hillary, she got beat by Obama in the primary in 08 because she was bad on Iraq and he wasn't. That was the deciding factor in the whole thing. Otherwise, it was hers to lose for sure in that primary. And but then what did she do? As soon as she becomes secretary of state, she says, we need to start bombing everybody. We've got yeah. to escalate in Afghanistan. She forms a united front with the Defense Department at state that we have to escalate and do the surge in Afghanistan. It's at our first opportunity, we got to do regime change in Libya. That was going to be her war. That was going to be for her to run for re-election, standing on. This was smart power, not like those incompetent Bush administration guys. You know, Even though she had just lost because she was a hawk, she still had that mentality that if you're a Democrat and especially a woman, you got to be muscular. You got to be tough. You got to push people around. You got to be a hawk on foreign policy. Even though, look, man, Bush gave being a hawk on foreign policy a bad name, lady. Get with it. We don't like hawks on foreign policy anymore. But no, to her, it's just, yeah, everybody knows that. It's just the most simplistic type thinking. And then. Of course, by 2016, she's running on. We need a no-fly zone over Syria because she thought. And what was it doing? It was winning over conservatives, i.e., neoconservatives like 
Victoria Newland's husband, Robert Kagan, Kagan was mm-hmm. saying, well, I can now here's a Democrat I could cross the aisle to support. If Donald Trump's going to be this America first or isolationist. Yeah, right. Then. Yeah. And so Hillary thought, wow, look at me. What a great job I'm doing winning in a bipartisan across the aisle thing. Maybe I can even like she even went to Arizona. People said criticized her for not going to Wisconsin and trying to collect those votes. She was busy in Arizona thinking she was going to turn it blue. And that if she was just a war hawk enough, she could win over John McCain's home state because, you know, Republicans, they love that war hawk stuff. And this is, you know, after Donald Trump had just spent a year running against W. Bush's foreign policy to howls of laughter and ridicule against Bush, you know, in agreement with him against uh, Bush and the and the old way of looking at things. And she still was married to that. And meanwhile, as she's turning towards Kagan, the leftists and the progressives in the party are just turning their back on her and staying home. She thought she just had them locked up and she could cozy right up to a Kagan and they wouldn't mind it, even though for many of them, that was the last straw. Now you're avowedly not just going after Republicans, but the worst war hawk Republicans we hate the most. You know, forget it, lady. And they stayed home. And you have millions of people who voted for Obama didn't vote for Clinton. They just didn't vote at all or they voted for Trump instead. Because yeah. of stuff like that, because she couldn't get her head around the fact that you don't have to just kill people all the time, you know. Well, I mean, not only in the Senate did Biden vote uh, for the war, but he he made she squelch any debate. I mean, he shut down like Lincoln Chafee, yep. who was uh, the only Republican to vote against mm-hmm. it, I believe, in the Senate. So uh, when yep. Biden was running in 20, really, the, the, the there's a multitude of reasons not to support him. But the, for me, the top one um, was his not just support for the war in Iraq and cheerleading and, and uh, greasing the skids for Bush and McCain to make it happen, but squelching any kind of debate. And people seem yeah. to have a collective amnesia about that. So, yeah, well, I mean, it got no, no attention at the time because there was nothing to pay attention to. He held two tiny days, you know, very short days of hearings, a couple of hours each on two days. He brought only Hawks to come in like mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Makia, who also was a former Trotsky, you know, who comes in. It was, oh, yeah, no, definitely invade. Everything will be fine. It's going to go great. Trust me, I'm an academic expert and stuff like that. And Biden goes, OK, great. Biden and Blinken were the ones who held the hearing. And then that was it. They canceled the thing and the whole deal was over. Justin Romando wrote an article at the time. Again, I was I was reading him that whole year long. I still remember the fix is in. And it was about how great these are. These are the leaders of the opposition party in the upper house. Joe F and Biden. Thanks a lot for nothing universe. You know, here we are stuck with this reality, you know, and then and that was it. You're absolutely right. I mean, he that was the time when he could have said, now, nah, wait a minute. I want to talk to some weapons inspectors. I want to talk to some Al Qaeda experts. I want to get the head of counterterrorism at CIA to come in here or the head of the um, we'll take some behind some, uh, you know, closed door testimony from the head of the CIA's bin Laden unit and see what he thinks about bin Laden's relationship with Saddam Hussein, right? He didn't do any of that. And if he'd done that, he'd have been like, wow. Well, he already knew better anyway. But that would have been enough to stop it. That would have been enough to say, listen, everybody. Yeah, I got to tell you, the guy with the mustache and the guy with the beard, they're just different. And you shouldn't (laughs) conflate them. You know, they really are just different guys. Yeah, and that that would have been different. But I mean, like you were saying earlier, all those talking heads like Condoleezza Rice, uh, Cheney, uh, Crystal going on TV all the time. You had at the, I think by 2002, 2003, 70% of our country believed that Iraq had something something to do with 9-11. So 
it was very powerful. It was a very powerful propaganda campaign. And now we're full circle with Blinken and Biden. And they're the ones telling us that, oh, boy, uh, it's going to war with Russia is going to happen, you know, with the Ukraine on the 16th. Oh, no, wait, it's going to be on the 20th. Like, just just listen to us. So here we are now, 20 years later. Yeah, Biden was just spouting off this afternoon saying it's sure to happen any minute now and has people panicked, markets crashing and all of this stuff. And I don't know the reality of it. I mean, look, none of us know. And it is true. The Russians have built up a lot of forces there. We can't tell the future what he's thinking. But I think that he's just jerking the Democrats chain that, like, frankly, they've been extremely provocative. So he started building up forces a little bit more than normal in uh you know, that part of Southwestern Russia there. And then once the Democrats started squawking about it, I think he and his ministers must have figured that this is a lot of fun. They're flexing a little bit. Yeah. Some of it has been clearly disingenuous where they knew long beforehand that they were going to hold these exercises in Belarus. And then they hold the exercises in Belarus. And then the Americans go, oh my God, it's just cover for an invasion. It's like, you know, I don't know, even if you're really fearful of that, you could just say that it could be cover for an invasion instead of just all of this certainty. I mean, they just is this the boy who cried wolf like crazy or what? They've been saying this since the beginning of November that they're going to invade any time now. They're going to invade any time now. I was on the Kennedy show last night and she goes, you know, when I interviewed you three weeks ago, you said Putin wasn't going to invade. Now, here we are three weeks later. And he still hasn't invaded. So I think you were right. And it's like, yeah, well, uh, they keep not invading. I don't know what to say, lady. You know, it doesn't seem like they're invading very much. Um, and what do they have to invade for? Uh, and something I didn't, uh, there's quite a bit I didn't have a chance to say on her show last night for time, of course. Um, but um, the first thing is that Putin's already getting what he wants in the sense that he's getting real assurances well, hopefully good enough for him, assurances. They should put it in writing. But it's getting assurances that we're not going to bring Ukraine into NATO. Nobody wants to bring Ukraine into NATO. They don't fit the qualifications whatsoever. The French and the Germans are sure to veto it no matter what and never let it happen. And it's just not going to happen. Not any time in the foreseeable future at all. Even, you know, never mind short, even medium-term future. It's just not going to happen. So there's nothing to panic about there. And... He's already said out loud, at least, that we're not going to put any missiles in Ukraine, meaning something important, not just like these shoulder fired anti-tank missiles, but some medium range missiles that could potentially be tipped with nuclear weapons or something like that. There's, there's no way we're going to do that. Joe Biden, as senile and messed up as he is, he's no good liar or anything like that. I mean, when he does lie, you can see right through it. They ask him about this. He's like, we don't have any intention of putting missiles in Ukraine. We're not doing that. He can just tell he's telling the truth. But that's just, or if the Pentagon's doing it, he don't know about it anyway. But I don't right. think it's happening. Um, and then, uh, very importantly, I should reread this because there are more points than this. The one that really sticks out to me from uh, the Biden government's response to Putin's demands in right, their written response, which Putin has now responded to as of yesterday. Um which we don't know what his answers have been. But uh, in in Biden's written response, he said, listen, we should sit down and work out a verification regime for inspections of our anti-ballistic missile sites in Romania and Poland. That's pretty big. And that means, see, here's the problem. You have the MK-41 missile launcher. 
It's a dual-use launcher. You can shoot anti-missile missiles with it, but you can also fire Tomahawk cruise missiles with it. The Tomahawk cruise missiles can be tipped with H-bombs. Donald Trump just tore up the INF Treaty last year that says we'll keep medium-range nuclear missiles out of Europe. So now the question is, are you or are you not going to keep medium-range nuclear missiles out of Europe with or without the treaty, right? And so Biden is saying, look, man, I don't mean to put tomahawks in Romania and Poland. You don't need to worry about that. And we'll set up an inspection regime so that you can send your boys out to check and look and make sure. So that ought to be good enough right there. That is essentially, um, it, you know, the core of Putin's demands. Now, he's also saying, you know, he wants promises we're not going to expand NATO anymore at all. He wants us to promise to pull all of our military equipment back to where it was in 97, which was what Clinton promised. Clinton said, well, we're going to expand NATO, but we're not going to move our forces into these countries. But then they have done that. And Putin is saying, no, I want you to go back. In other words, he's making some pretty stiff demands here. But in other, but also it's a negotiation, right? So you meet halfway and you get to a pretty reasonable place here when in fact we ought to just abolish NATO and forget the whole thing anyway. But obviously that's not on the table. Um, but um so that, those are, you know, as far as him saying, listen, do what I say, I have some demands and I'm demanding them and I want a decent response here. The Americans are responding somewhat decently to the important points here, you know? And then the second thing is, if he does invade, then he's got a real problem because, I mean, there's a reason he had invaded all along, even though there's a, a strong pro-Russian population, ethnic Russian, Russian-speaking population in eastern Ukraine. Right. That, there are a lot of costs that come with that. First of all, are the military costs in the first place and all of the bad public relations from people being killed on 4K cameras, you know, which is a big deal nowadays. Um, but he has also got essentially an elderly population in that part of Ukraine where it's going to be a net drain on the treasury because it's more pensioners than workers. And so he's just signing up more debts for Moscow to pay for a whole new group of people who right now he's not responsible for. Then they have, you know, some heavy industry in Ukraine uh, or the heavy industry in Ukraine mostly is in the East, but a lot of it is pretty old and decrepit and is not really worthy to compete on the global market without some severe investments. And there are exceptions to that. Like there some of their military factories. They make helicopter engines and rocket engines and some high tech stuff. But for the most part, it's pretty old and run down in Soviet era stuff. And so, that would require billions, tens of billions of dollars to get up to speed for the global economy, 21st century style thing. And then plus right now, not that it's working very well right now, but right now he's got about a 50-50 split where in the country, half the population speaks primarily Russian and leans toward Russia and supports Russian leaning parties and provide a major counterbalance to the ethnic Ukrainian nationalists who are pretty far right. Now they're all kind of right wing. It's not like this is right versus left here because they're all essentially conservatives or worse, you know, or, like or Galatians. Or radical rights. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but but it is very much like kind of a balance in the country. If you're looking at it from Moscow's point of view, you could see why if you take all the Russian speakers out of Ukraine, you leave it to what you just said, right? These people who are very far right, who not just are, you know, descendants um, of SS. Yeah. Yeah. Not just Ukrainian 
ethnic Ukrainian nationalists, but even, yeah, as you said, descendants of the actual Nazis from World War II. And now you have a whole new problem to deal with there. John know? McCain's so, buddies. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, in other words, just like if you look at when Russia seized Crimea in 2014, the status quo had held for 25 years. What changed was that Obama overthrew the government in Kiev for the second time in 10 years. And then they started threatening to kick the Russians out of the base. And so the Russians were like, no, we're keeping the base. And in fact, we're just taking the whole damn peninsula back. Yeah. Well, this is a very predictable reaction. Not that I'm justifying or whatever. I'm just Kang and Kodos in orbit here describing the history of the reality of what happened here, you know? That these guys caused this to happen. Um, otherwise, Putin was happy to lease that base for the rest of his life until he dies of a stroke in his office in another 15, 20 years from now. 30 years. What the hell does he care as long as he gets to keep his naval base? You know, he'd been, again, he'd been president for 15 years before he took the peninsula. Okay. And the proximate cause was the coup in Kiev, not that Putin woke up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. It was America messing around and threatening to kick them out of that naval base that caused that to happen. And so um, it's the same kind of thing here. Unless the Americans, well, first of all, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, presuming he has control of his armed forces, he's not trying to do anything brave right now and get himself and his country bombed and get into a war. You know, if you go back to 2008, he had this freak Shakashvili who Bush had installed in the coup of 2003 in former Soviet Georgia there in the Georgia. Southern Caucasus Mountains. And in the summer of uh, 2008, he tried to seize this breakaway province, South Ossetia, and bombed a bunch of Russian peacekeepers in his attempt to do so, which caused Putin to come across the mountains and smash his army and drive him back out of South Ossetia again, uh, which he could have taken all of Georgia and didn't at the time, uh, mind you. Um, but... So I don't think, though, that that uh, Zelensky is a freak show like Shakashvili, who would act out of emotion and be so crazy as to do something stupid to cause a war here. Yeah. And I just don't think, you know, there there is what do they call it? The, the uh, commander actor problem or whatever, something like that. Well, like, I mean, Zelensky's a comedian. I was going to say he's going to be a reasonable guy. He's a comedian by trade. You know, yeah, that, well, an actor. I mean, I think that's good, right? Yeah, I exactly. do too. Like, you can see both hey, sides of the story. Hell yeah. Like Trump, um, we had a comedian for four years, you know? Yeah. What and, the hell? And he was wonderful. We should no, get along I'm, with Russia, Scott. I think we should get along with Russia. I think it would be nice. Really it, it would be nice if they ever tried it, right? Uh, instead, all he did was arm the Ukrainians all the time. <laughs> you might remember he got impeached for temporarily holding up an arms deal, but then approving <laughs> it to go forward anyway again. I thought that was Biden. It was a perfect phone call. <laughs> yeah, very Biden perfect. Did. Yeah. I mean, do you think Putin would, or do you think this would be happening right now if Trump was president? Because, like you said, man, he he did send lethal weapons to Ukraine when Obama sent pillows and blankets. I sent lethal weaponry, Scott. Okay, so Putin, I'm the last person Putin wants to be president right now. You I mean, know, he he I hate he, that stuff, man. That's the worst part of this, right? Is the right wing narrative, the rhetoric. That, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it, and and Trump's narrative too. He has said this outright that. Yeah, it's Biden's weakness that has caused this to happen rather than Biden's criminal negligence in intervening where he does not belong before Trump was ever sworn in. It was Biden when he was right. vice president under Obama who got us into this mess. And that's the narrative. But, you know, to give Hillary Clinton her due for her idiocy, thinking people love a hawk, 
Well, the right wing constantly attacks Democrats for being a bunch of weak, you know, uh, sissy pants women. And so they, of course, react by saying, no, we're not. We're definitely as bad a warmongers as you guys. As, as far as I can tell, right. that's the only thing to do. And the Republicans are almost never clever enough to say the problem is interventionism. America first. Get out of there. Leave it alone. They almost never do. They go, oh, your weakness has led to this. Your, you know, um, your isolationism has got us into this crisis. The same shit they pulled. You know, they pretended Bill Clinton was an isolationist in the oh, 90s. Before led to 9-11. Yeah. I mean, for crying out loud. Um so, um, you know, yeah, uh, but now what would Trump do if he were here now or, or what would, uh, yeah, what would be different be about if this thing here now? if Trump was the I, emir? Yeah, I really don't know. That's a great question. Um, I mean, the reality is if he'd been reelected, then we might be dealing with a little bit different Trump, a more empowered Trump who has his secretary of defense. He wants now to do more of the things he wants. And maybe he would be brave enough to make a deal with Russia. Um, thinking. He Maybe. talked about making a, a grand bargain and a new nuclear treaty with them and China, um, even though China has far fewer nukes than America and Russia. So they just scoffed at that. They go, we got 300 nukes. When you guys get down to 300, we'll negotiate with you the rest of the way. Get the hell out of here with this. You know, China. Um, <laughs> well, I said, look, man, if you, don't, if you don't start squash that investigation, you're not getting the billion. All right. You better get Hunter's government issued crack pipe, man. If you don't do that with my friends at the CFR, it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. Get Bill Clinton to fill that crack pipe too, dude. He's got it going on. (laughs) I'll I'll fill that right in. I'll fill it right in. We got some chats here. We got from Eddie Grimm says, I appreciate you guys' humor. I think you're all great. Thank you, Mr. Horton, for really helping me uh, not just open my eyes to the reality, but helping me embrace the reality of the world. Happy 100, fellas. Cool. Very kind. Thank Thank you, you, man. Thank you so much. We got Scott Horton is always right. I, yeah, that's fairly often, yeah. I'm afraid that's so. pretty, that's pretty fair. That, you have that burden. He has that fair assessment. Horton's an excellent episode for your hundredth. Thank you, Adam. Good, good old Adam. Adam. Another great He's researcher. And, yeah. yeah, Adam does great work. So, I mean, ultimately, Scott, do you think things are going to just kind of blow over over there and we're not going to have uh, all-out exchange? Because that's what a lot of people were asking me that kind of wanted to get from tonight is really overall yeah. bottom line, what do you see happening? Yeah, I mean, I think as one way or the other, everybody's going to climb down. They've got to. I mean, certainly, I'll tell you what, worst case scenario is Russia invades Ukraine. They take half of it or all of it. And then, you know, essentially they're frozen out and broken away from Europe and pushed, you know, further to the east and away from the west. The Their, you know, economic arrangements with the Germans are then canceled. Um and everything goes to hell. So um, if that does happen, though, America's not going to war with Russia over Ukraine. If they invade the Baltic states and Poland, even then I think we might say, you know what? Forget NATO. <laughs> We're not, we, we don't want to die in a thermonuclear war, not even over Warsaw, you know? And I think during the Cold War, they probably would have gotten into a war to protect West Germany and France and and Denmark and Belgium if the Soviets had come rolling into Western Europe, uh, you know, with the idea that they were headed to cross the channel and going to take Britain too or something like that. I think America would have gone to war for that. But we're going to go to nuclear war for Eastern Europe. 
when Americans have never heard of the cities, Lviv and Tallinn, uh, you know, um, what's it called? The one I forgot. Cause it's how unfamiliar I am with it too. Um, you know, we're going to trade Houston and Kansas city and Denver and, and, you know, uh, Norfolk, Virginia or whatever for these cities. Americans have never heard of before, right. but we're certainly Biden has said explicitly if Russia invades, cause people ask him, well, if Russia does invade Ukraine, you're going to send troops. And he goes, no, they're not a member of NATO. And he goes, our commitment to NATO is sacred, but they're not in it. Which, you know, some of the hawks got mad at him and said, geez, why don't you just give Putin a green light? And I was like, well, right. yeah, what am I Maybe supposed I to say, man? I'm not Come committing on, us to go to war over Ukraine. We're not going to war over Ukraine. So I think people can, people can, um, if they want, they can worry about the Ukrainians. But I don't think they need to worry that America is going to get into a war. Yeah, you know, I, it's not like in the in the Soviet day, in the worst days of the Cold War. Now, I don't know exactly what happened to Jack Kennedy, but I think it is plausible the narrative that this was like some seven days in May thing where they just thought this Democrat is such a weakling, he's going to give away the whole store to the commies. He's going to threaten our national security, and it's our patriotic duty to do this. You know, that kind of talking themselves into it in the yeah. name of the Soviet menace. But there just is not a Soviet Union right now. There just isn't. Yeah, and you right. just can't pretend that there is to face down. There's no missile gap here, man. Nobody believes that there is. There's no West Berlin wholly surrounded by their enemies in East Germany, you know, threatened to be squashed at any moment. It's just not the situation. Um, Biden, Biden doesn't so, have uh, people around him like Curtis LeMay and and uh, right, yeah, that's Levinzer right, and and ghouls like that. Who are really, I mean, they're ghouls. Like Lincoln's a ghoul, but yeah, you would, you would hope that like the 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 Joint Chiefs and the ghouls that were surrounding Kennedy, like he even said, if something happens to me, it's those guys. Right, that, that's and, how bad it was. Right, and we got Millie, who like frankly is a pushover. Thank God, I saw Millie the other day on TV going, hey, 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 listen, we got a lot of diplomatic options to exhaust here, and you know. People sure do like talking loud sometimes, but sometimes we can talk a little quieter and do some diplomacy. And like, yeah, he don't want to fight. The no. chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is not telling the president, you got to hit him, Mr. President. Like, that's not what's going on right now. Thank oh, God. That's, that's you know? good. Yeah, Trump was like, yeah. I saw Millie. He was wearing high heels and he put his pronouns in his biography, Scott. If you believe <laughs> that. If you can believe that. We, we are so weak right now. We are so weak. <laughs> It's uh, terrible. What a terrible narrative. I'm afraid they're getting away with that. But I'm yeah. personally, I'm counting on Biden's weakness. You know, may he have like well, the worst night's sleep ever and tomorrow just be like, fooey, tell Putin I'm sorry and just give up the whole thing. I, just, you know? I had my bed of Busel and I shit my diaper last night, Vlad. Let's not do this. Seriously. Let's, let's not bigger do problems it. here. Let's not do it. Let's not do it, Vlad. Come on, man. Question so for Scott. What's the more everywhere? What's the more realistic war, Scott, Iran or Russia? <laughs> I hope neither. Yeah, neither. Neither. Oh, yeah, I think neither. I, the Pentagon doesn't want to fight Iran either. You know, no. they decided, you know, if you go back to the beginning of 2007, when they launched the surge in Iraq and they launched this whole PR campaign that Iran was responsible for all the roadside bombings in eastern Iraq and southern Iraq. And um, that, you know, we had to essentially launch attacks against IRGC bases on Iran's side of the border to teach them a lesson and all this. And the idea was from Cheney and Petraeus and the neocons point of view to try to get something started to escalate right. the thing into a general war with Iran. And at one point they were even proposing that they would um, 
how the Israelis attack the Natanz nuclear facility yep. in order to provoke an overreaction. And that came from David Wormser himself, who worked for Cheney. So this is what we're trying to do as an end run, a quote, end run around the president to force W. Bush, the reluctant by then, into, the, into a war with Iran. And the reason he was reluctant was because in January of 07, there was a meeting at the tank. It was Joel Klein, I'm pretty sure, in Time Magazine wrote this up, that um, they had a meeting in the tank at the Pentagon. And the generals told him, we're not going to war with Iran, Mr. President. We just can't do it because here's the problem. We'll lose too many guys. There's no way to, as yeah. they put it, they would lose escalation dominance, meaning they don't want to fight unless they're confident going in that they're going to control every stage of the fight, that they're going to anticipate all their enemies' moves and they're going to outmatch all their enemies' moves. And in this case, they said, we do not have escalation dominance here. Once this thing starts, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But we've right. got Hezbollah rockets in southern Lebanon. We've got Iraqi militias. And really, frankly, the Iraqi army is the Bada Brigade. And these guys have said, if we go to war with Iran, quote, we will do our duty. That was Abdul Haziz al-Akim, the head of the Supreme Islamic Council, the leader of the Bada Brigade. In other words, while Bush was turning them into the Iraqi army next door, if he attacked Iran, it would be like episode three of Star Wars where the clones all turn on the Jedi and shoot him in the back, you know, Order 66, and be uh, how to lose an army. William S. Lind wrote an article for the American Conservative. How to lose an army, dig into Iraq, then invade Iran. And yeah. you find yourself losing divisions at a time. Oh, yeah. Because the guys that you've been fighting for, the supermajority you've been fighting for, will become your enemy at the snap. Turn right on you on a dime. There was too much. They were taking on too much. It, that wouldn't have yep. been sustained. It's not sustainable right. now. And not to mention that most, you know, most people in that country, <coughs> excuse me, are young under 30 who don't want war. They're not right. like the, not like the hardliners or like the religious sect. I think that the most worried I was, Scott, is when the king uh, rendered Suleimani into a smudge. I, I was pretty worried that week. I'm not going to lie. That was pretty right. bad. Yeah, no, it was pretty bad. And um, and thank goodness, you know, despite all the hype about the Ayatollah Khamenei, what'd he do? He shot some missiles at what he knew for a fact was the empty, unpopulated corner of what was technically still the property of an American army base in Iraq. Right, in theater. order to make sure to not kill anybody. It was theater. You know, this yeah. is the madman who we are supposed to believe is ready to do a, for a nuclear first strike against Israel, even though everybody knows Israel would kill every last person in Persia in response. Um, but that they don't care because they're all just going to go to heaven anyway because their crazy religion says to do it or whatever. This is that same guy. And you kill his number one best guy. And we're not talking about like, what if they had killed Petraeus? the pathetic loser, the great American fraud, <laughs> you know, who is nothing but a complete and total embarrassment. Paul we're talking about like killing. Yeah. We're talking about like if they killed MacArthur at his height right. or they Pete, killed Pete Patton MacArthur. at his height or Pete Eisenhower Patton. at his height. Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, 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 exactly. when Eisenhower was a five-star general and the greatest American hero ever and doing his ticker tape parade. And then you smack him. That's who Soleimani is to the Iranians. So that was a severe provocation. And then they said, you know what? We got to be pragmatic. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Some really, really big guy with a gun and a knife punches you. Yeah, you know, maybe you should just turn the other cheek, dude. I mean, what are you going to do? That guy's that much bigger than you, and he's got a gun, and he's got a knife. And Trump Tower. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they made the right call, Scott, quite frankly. They, they made the, the right call. They made the right, <laughs> right. call. They, they, the right had, call. they had no I was, choice, man. 
I was yeah. worried though. That that was one of the most disappointed I was, Mike, with Trump during the whole thing. You Me know, too. Yeah. yeah, I really, oh, did. I, really sure. I really, I mean, he did, he did that for Israel, and he even said that now in these books where he's giving interviews at Mar-a-Lago. He's saying, you know, fuck Netanyahu, he burned me. You know, fuck the Israelis, and uh, he did that for Israel. That's why he did that. Yeah, you know, it was you know? funny. I saw a clip of him recently where, um, in context, too, was you know had enough of the clip that you could tell this is what he really meant by it and everything. That. He's saying, oh, it's just pathetic now. Israel has no influence in the Congress anymore. He goes, they used to rule the Congress. They had Congress totally under their thumb, as they rightfully should. But now they don't anymore, and they've lost that authority. Oh, and that's whatever. cringe. <laughs> God, can yeah, you said that? Yeah, you're talking about a foreign country should yeah. have dominance yes, in they our should. Congress. Yeah. They should. Well, what happened yeah. to Rand Paul when Rand Paul was trying to talk about cutting off all aid to all countries and then specifically Israel? And then I don't know if it was Netanyahu who talked to him or someone talked to him because early yeah, on. He didn't talk much like that anymore. Well, no. early, early in my Senate career, I went in there and I said we should just boycott and just, you know, not give them any more yeah. money. I don't think we should be doing that, Scott. I don't think it's a very wise idea to be doing that. And Uncle Netanyahu put me over his, uh, his lap and spanked me with a ruler at my desk. <laughs> or fine. That's God, that's much, good and that's horrifying. That's pretty much what happened. And that you know, is so good and horrifying. And that is what happened. And yeah, you needed to do one where like, yeah, and then I went and met with Sheldon Adelson. And he said he'd give me some money if I promised to create a new Kurdish state and go to war for it. So I said, okay. Yeah. I said, I'll bring you to Kentucky. You can help me uh, mow my lawn. Someone's <laughs> going to have to help me with my trimmings. And then we go. can get, take a COVID test and go for a swim at the pool in the Congress. You, know? <laughs> you guys are really good, man. <laughs> well, tonight, Scott, he, Mike's premiering a really big impersonation, and that's of Scott Horton from antiwar.com. Oh, oh no. no! You got one. I gotta, I gotta do it right now, Eric. Can I have I a mean, little shit? I, oh, maybe, maybe you need more shit, dude. We, we got it, Prime Mike. You got to do it. I'm the guy who wrote the book. Enough already. End the war in Afghanistan. And the Congress voted to give them all these weapons. And the next week, they took the weapons away. So John McCain just went over there, basically with a crate of super soakers filled with acid. And they said, <laughs> "Go nuts." <laughs> and that's our foreign policy, literally. <laughs> That's great. I can dude. do better. I can do a better Horton. It'll, it'll he, come. He can get some more champagne. His Horton will improve. It's coming. Yeah, the yeah. honking will continue. Get him a little drunker. <laughs> the hey, it's our hundredth episode. Ron Paul was Absolutely. right. Ron Paul was right. He sure as hell was, wasn't he? Yeah. Can you imagine if we even gave him one turn, man, with how we could have at least moved the needle in a better direction? I mean, I know obviously Congress, he wouldn't have gotten it much or anything passed, but man, I don't think we'd be thirty trillion in the hole. I don't think we'd have all these wars going. I don't know. I could be crazy. Nope. I know you're right. He would have just said, Admiral, sail home. You heard me. That's it. Well, well. Load him up. Turn well, around. What we're going to do, Scott, is we're going to send a uh, dog, the bounty hunter, to Afghanistan and pay him $30,000. He's going to bring back bin Laden's head in the sack. And then we're going to return the sack back to the taxpayers. You know? <laughs> That's it. That's what we would have done. He would have subbed it out to Dr. Bounty Hunter. Well, he he wrote that Bill Scott uh, marquee and reprisal or something. Where isn't that in essence yeah. what Ron Paul said to do with Al Qaeda and Bin Laden? Just just um, uh, you know, put aside thirty million dollars or something and pay some hard dick Blackwater dudes to go over there and get them and come back. We don't need regime change. Right. Yeah, that was exactly what it was. And then it would be a crime to kill any innocent people. You know, right. I mean, if somebody's a bodyguard wants to put themselves between you and bin Laden, I guess that's their problem. Yeah. But 
it would yes, essentially a letter of Mark. Mark um, yeah. is um, well, it's spelled funny, so it's not your fault. It's, it's um, French. But, it's French. Yeah. So a letter Losers. of Mark and reprisal is essentially it's a congressional declaration of war against a group less than a state, like a group of pirates is what it was mostly used for <laughs> then, and it meant that if you're a private ship out on the high seas, that you are essentially deputized to act as, uh, you know, federal armed force and use force against pirates to either kill them or arrest them and bring them to justice. So in this case, what's Al-Qaeda in Nangahar province in 2001 other than just this small band of bandits, Man, right? Shit. This small group of criminals who yeah. could essentially just be... And, and if you... And I remember Harry Brown saying this at the same time too. They're like, look, if I said I'll give the individual in charge of the group that, that gets him, a billion dollar bounty. That sound like a lot to you. And we're spending a billion dollars a minute over there right now. Yeah, you know what I mean? Whatever the we're billion the dollars a day, now. Yeah. yeah. So, so it really would be nothing like, yes, we will make an absolute fortune for the people who bring us this guy. But of yeah. course you kill any innocent people, you go to jail. That's still against the law. It's, we're, this is not wartime. This is still peacetime and the rule of law still applies to anybody who's not under the letter of Mark. And the letter of Mark would have been Bin Laden, Zawahiri, and anybody who's an armed person with them, right? In Afghanistan and or wherever they go from there. And that would have been it. And the whole thing could have been over by Christmas. And here's the thing oh, of yeah. it too, and I talked with Ron Paul about this on the show before, that you can forget the whole thing about the privateers. Never mind the whole thing about a bounty and sending bounty hunters after them. You could still send the special operations forces. But the point is not so much the privateers as it is the target that you would not be declaring anything like an authorization to use force open-endedly or right. a declaration right. of war against the nation state of Afghanistan. It's that you would be declaring, uh, you know, uh, your intent to use armed force only against this small group as it's being defined there. So, no so it would have been a much more narrow authorization of force and one straight out of Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11. It, it, the thing made sense, and he essentially just got laughed at in Congress when he put it forward because yeah, he was that. dealing with all those assholes and the neocons and Bush and all them. But looking back, when you actually read the bill, you're like, Jesus, this thing makes great sense, and that would have been that would have been a great idea to have done that. Yeah. And you know what? Since I wrote those books, I make the case in both books that they let bin Laden go. And in the first book, yeah. I quote the CIA a lot. And in the second book, I got the Delta Force guys who say the same thing. But since I published those books a year ago, there have been two new things. There are three new things, except I forget the third one. There have been two new things that I can at least recall off the top of my head that I learned about them deliberately letting bin Laden go. One of them was about a year ago after January 6th, the NPR News did an interview with Robert Grenier, who'd been the CIA station chief in Islamabad in Pakistan during the dawn of the terror war. And he was the guy who I cite in the book that he had arranged with the Pakistani Frontier Corps and Army that when the Delta Force chased Al-Qaeda across the border into Pakistan, that they had deconfliction to protect from friendly fire so that we wouldn't blow away our own guys as they came across the border. The Pakistanis wouldn't shoot the Americans as they came across the border. Well, he gives an interview to NPR and he's making an analogy about January 6th. Now, that whole part of the story is totally objectionable 
And I'll get to that in a second, kind of. But more to my point here is he really makes an admission about letting Bin Laden go. What it is, is he says, you know, in Afghanistan at the start of the war, Al-Qaeda was really the enemy who had attacked us. But we decided then, he's not being critical either. He's just saying, but we decided then that rather than focus on just those few and the most militant, most dangerous part in Al-Qaeda, we wanted to go sort of after that larger milieu of extremism in which they were swimming. And that meant the Taliban. Like, holy bait and switch, man. Like, you're just not even admitting at all that you're talking about letting the the Saudi and, and Egyptian terrorists who attacked America go so you can fight against the local indigenous Afghan Pashtun population that Bill Clinton had only helped put in power just five years ago in cooperation with the Pakistanis and the Saudis when they just didn't do it. The larger kind of milieu of Islamic extremism means we let bin Laden the guilty go away. Then someone else, um, I found this in an old documentary I watched, was a clip of Richard Myers. And I went and Googled it and found where it was written to and all of this for, you know, sourcing later. Where he gave an interview, I think, to NBC News, where, ah, oh, man, I'm sorry I'm going to fail on uh, on anything very close to his exact words here, guys, I think. I just had it on the tip of my tongue a second ago. It was, um, oh, man, I'm sorry, I forgot exactly the way he said it, but I remember the way he justified it. I can't remember the way he said it, but what he said was, yeah, we decided to focus on the Taliban, not al-Qaeda. I forgot the paraphrase. But then he says, because, you know, there's even like this new study that came out that says that, you know, a lot of times you don't want to get the top leaders of terrorist groups because then worse guys kind of come to the top and this kind of thing. Now, he's right about that. And, and um, you know, Andrew Coburn has written a lot about the decapitation strategy and how poorly it works. And that's true. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about these guys got to pay for what they've done in the past. They attacked us. They're going to prison or hell but they're not, they don't get to go and live free for another 10 years. In Zawahiri's case, another 21 years free after attacking the United States of America. Forget decapitation strategies and whether they work or not, right? It's sort of like, forget whether the death penalty is a deterrent or not. This son of a bitch has got to hang. You know what I mean? For what he did. Never mind what the next guy's going to think about it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so some of these guys- So have Richard Myers, is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, admitting again that we let the guy go. We decided to not fight our enemy, but instead to fight the Taliban instead. And I'm sorry, man, I wish I could remember what the third one was, because there's another major thing that I learned in the last year. It was another major like admission. I know one of them was, this is not what I'm thinking of, but one of them was I learned that they called off the air campaign at Tora Bora on December the 8th. And I don't think I'd ever known that before. I didn't know when they called it off. And I guess I'd never been curious about when they called it off. But Bin Laden didn't get away till December the 17th. And they had stopped bombing. You hear all about the air campaign there, but they had called it all off on the 8th of December. So didn't they say we can't get our guys in there? It's too cavernous and mountainous and too um treacherous terrain. And we just we, we can't and wasn't Mattis there with over a thousand Marines ready to go? That's right. So what you had was you had Delta Force and CIA uh special activities division, paramilitaries on the ground. And they're embedded essentially with local militiamen who are completely unreliable. 
and go home every night. So whatever land they take, whatever ground they take, they always got to retreat and start over again the next day. And the, the guys are essentially under orders to not risk themselves and just send these guys ahead and kind of back them up. And it's just not working. And they do have, um, especially according to this story I read, it was in task and purpose. And it was a profile of the single man who was the air force controller who was attached to Delta force. And he was leading, he was in charge of all air traffic control and all airstrikes being called into Torbor. It was all him. And they even said that there had been some friendly fire incident elsewhere in the country. And so they had a temporary halt to all airstrikes in the country of Afghanistan Except in Tora Bora, where you guys are going after bin Laden, you guys can have all the planes. So they had all the planes in the theater at Tora Bora. And this guy was in charge of orchestrating all their air traffic and their bombing runs uh, going in there. And then he goes, yep. And then they pulled me out on the 8th. And then after that, I don't know what happened, but that's how things go. But then they don't say in the next sentence, bin Laden didn't escape for nine more days, bro you know, after they had called off this part of the mission. And then as you're saying, yes, there were green berets in the North. I'd have to go back and check over the numbers. I saw where someone criticized me in a comment on YouTube where I said that there were thousands of guys, um, thousands of Rangers at Bagram. And this guy said, I was at Bagram at that time. There were not thousands, but that was like all he said. So, okay. There were hundreds of guys at Bagram at least at that time. And who cares if they had to, every single one of them leave that base and come back later? Big deal. Um, but still, it was hundreds and hundreds of them. Plus, there were hundreds of Green Berets in the north up there fighting for General Dostum, the communist, against the Taliban. And then you had, I don't know the numbers. I'd have to go back. But you had the 75th Rangers down in Kandahar. And then you had General James Mattis, as you said, with 4,000 4, marching Marines okay. down there in Kandahar. And according to him, he asked, begged to get into the fight. And the general was turned down, as the New York Times put it. He was refused permission to go. And it was not that far. I mean, yes, it's tough terrain, but these are the Marines. If you don't have the Chinooks, you can march Marines a couple hundred miles. It'll take them a few days, but you can march them from Austin to Dallas if you absolutely have to. You know what I mean? They'll march. They'll do yeah. that. That's their damn job. And, um, and so, but they didn't do that. And so you had just the Delta and CIA, you know, that you couldn't even say they had them surrounded on three sides. They had them surrounded on one side, you know, they didn't have them surrounded at all. And they were allowed to just completely escape when in fact they could have done what's already, they already have a, this, a binder that already describes exactly what you do in a circumstance like this. It's the red binder over on the shelf. It's the block and sweep operation where you just draw a line and then you push all the way down that line until there's just no space left. Everybody's, you know, either uh, captured or pink missed by the time you're done. And they could have finished it. And now, by the way, again, they could have they could have negotiated with the Taliban and have Bin Laden and his men extradited. So they I'm not even gonna, advocating for war here. All they I'm wanted doing to hand is them over. They were offering to, yeah, they offered to hand That's them right. over. That's right. So I'm just I'm not saying that. No, you should have turned them all to pink mist. I'm just saying that yeah. this is how disingenuous this war was from the very beginning, that they decided to let bin Laden go and focus on the Taliban instead. I Even remember, in Richard Meyer's own words, you know, they say this outright. I remember hearing uh, Jesse Ventura talk about that. He's like, then bin Laden and his men did the Macarena over the border into Pakistan. Yeah. 
<laughs> they did the Basically. electric slide right in the back of Stan you know Scott. I'm glad you say that because it had coverage fact, from the ISI too. Yeah, like I'm I'm glad that um you mentioned that from uh Ventura because he's really focusing on something that I always um thought was really important about the way that they say when it's when it's not him talking about them dancing across the border. <laughs> it's almost the same term every time they say bin Laden and his men, they slipped across the border into Pakistan. They did the Macarena. I mean, couple then, that, yeah, with what they make it sound like. I, I don't really think about Bin Laden that much anymore, Scott. I don't know where he is. I don't think about. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't hey, really look, think that, about that quote is from just six months after he got after the attack. That's from March of '02. Yes. In fact, oh, <clears throat> don't let me forget that anniversary. Um, that that goes along with um, with uh, tweeting out Ramondo's articles and stuff. Don't let us forget that I'm truly not concerned about him statement from the beginning of March. That's just a couple of weeks away, guys. Okay. Uh, make sure and tag me we're, in your tweet. Twitter I'm, campaign going. I'm, yeah. tru- I'm um, truly not that concerned. I, I don't think about yeah. it. I, but uh, now, so think uh, about this seriously. For for Bin Laden to walk across the border from Afghanistan's Nangarhar province into Pakistan is, I mean, that's essentially meaningless, right? That's like walking from Texas across the highway into Oklahoma. And then if it was the Delta Force, they could certainly follow you. What difference does that make? We're and we're talking about out in the wilderness. There's not even a highway to walk across that, you know, marks the division here. We're we're talking about pine needles on the ground. When do you um, think he made it to a Bodabod? Well, I think he just walked there. He, there was no one chasing him. He did the Macarena. You know, I mean, at some point, yeah, the Pakistani military picked him up and gave him a ride. The ISI gave him a ride. They knew you he know? was there. Come on. They knew I bet they there. made him walk like three quarters of the way home before they gave him a lift there. But, you know, the guy who was the leader of Delta Force, Thomas Greer, he complained about this and went on 60 Minutes. You know, he wrote the book Kill Bin Laden. But then he went on 60 Minutes and he showed Scott Pelley they like built a mock-up of the area and he goes, yeah, so these, they ran away and then, but we're the Delta force. We want to go after him, but they wouldn't let us go after him. And we wanted to get in Chinooks and go over the mountains and then come and meet him from this side. How do you like that? Mr. Jihadi man? Nope, not allowed. And, and we wanted to fly helicopters. There were only three different valleys to choose from to get the hell out of there. And we were going to mine them all. Nope, no mining allowed. Um, and then they would have followed the sound of the explosions, I guess, and, and you know, haunted them down once somebody lost their first foot or whatever. Then it would have been on after that. Um, and on and on like this. Here are all of our plans. And, you know, the way Greer, uh, I'm sorry I spent so much time on this part of the story, but the way Greer describes it in the book, he says, listen, we're talking about the Delta Force here, man. When the Delta Force top tier special operations guys, when they say, hey, um, Tactically speaking, not strategically, but tactically speaking, we want to go north and then east. Roger, the answer is always 10-4. You guys do whatever the hell you want out there and just let us know. And the answer is always yes. We want to do this. We want to do that. Uh, we we want to use this kind of gun. We want to wait until sun up. We want whatever it is that they want, they get. They're the freaking Delta Force. Now they're going after Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawahiri. And they're told, no, 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 no. Not just for reinforcements, but for anything that they want to do. Including, can we please walk after the bad guy? Who, where is he fleeing to? Is he fleeing into Russia? We're like, come on, we can't. 
we can't send soldiers in hot pursuit into Russia. But no, he's in a, going into Pakistan. Whereas I just told you guys, Robert yeah. Grenier had already made a deal with the Army and the Frontier Corps to welcome them in and to make sure they didn't accidentally shoot their friends, the Americans. So why the hell do our guys got to stomp on their hat at the state line and, and say fooey and, and not be able to proceed against their target? And the answer is because George W. Bush decided to let the enemy escape. Well, it's an act of treason because they wanted the to pretend prolong that Saddam war. was friends with Osama. But why would your mom be afraid of that if I thought we killed Osama two years ago? Who cares about him being friends with Saddam Hussein now, right? And so they had to let him escape. Yeah, it, it pro, I mean, it prolonged the war, you know, two decades, you know, and here we are just last year, Brandon yep. gets us out of there. And and uh, it's not, you know, we're not talking about the fact that we got out. It's all the way we got out. And all of a sudden, the media suddenly cares about the deaths of innocent people and the deaths yeah. of 20-year-old troops. They suddenly care about that after yeah, most people yeah. couldn't even tell you that we were still in a war with Afghanistan for the last 15 plus years. So yeah, like yeah. you were saying earlier, it's, yeah, it's narratives. It's a narrative. Yep. So. I just I, war is not popular right now. I think even even by normie standards, nobody wants another war. So I, I would to circle back. I would agree that I don't think Ukraine and Russia is going to pan out into this big, uh, you know, U.S. versus Russia. You know, with all the nukes, I don't think it's going to happen. Got a yeah. question for Scott. What are your thoughts on Bo Bergdahl? Hmm. Well, not too much. I mean, I'm glad he's home safe. I know his dad, um, or I never met him in person, but uh, we're kind of email pen pals from back those in those days. And I think, you know, he got smeared as being a traitor, like he was going over to the Taliban. And I believe that his defense is quite credible. And that is that what in fact had happened was he was trying to walk from one base to another so that he could rat on his commanding officer to his commanding officer and say that there's absolutely no discipline on this base and people don't even wear their helmets when they go out. And this it's just completely crazy over there. And, you know, we need some the boss's boss to come and clean things up. But he got nabbed. And, you know, he shouldn't have left the base on his own and he got kidnapped by the Taliban and then became a massive liability. And I know there was a lot of accusations and controversy and claims that people died while they were out looking for him. And then, but I seem to remember that that wasn't really true. But then again, I don't really know for sure. It could be. I mean, it was a dangerous place. You go out on a rescue mission. That means now you're going places where you're not used to going. And, you know, where you're not familiar with the territory and what else going on, very well could be that people got um, killed or wounded uh, while they were searching for him. But, you know, they try to make it out like, oh, he's John Walker Lind and he went over to the Taliban. But even John Walker Lind went over to the Taliban back when Bill Clinton was still their friend. Before you know, 9-11. They, they, you know, yeah, they weren't our about <clears throat> enemies, at least at that time. And it wasn't the Taliban right. that did 9-11. It was al-Qaeda that did. And Walker and Lind never fought fighting. any American forces. He, he never That's fought right. against... Yeah. Uh, there's a great Walker, documentary that just came out about him. I don't Walker, know if you've had right. The Bergdahl was nothing like that at all. A Bergdahl was nothing like that at all. He was just an American who was upset at his commanding officer and wanted his commanding officer to instill some discipline on their base, I believe, was really the core of the thing. I'm sorry, Eric, you were saying there, but I was just going to say, uh, Walker Lynn, he was just doing a semester at sea over there, you know? He was just trying <laughs> He was just trying something different, you know? It was He needed some something hippie exotic. Kid. That's right. <laughs> yeah, hippie kid, he, just, he, he, was, he was mystified and enchanted, you know? 
So, but he's uh, he's somewhere in Witsec with a different name and probably some cosmetic surgery, you know, totally totally hidden cosmetic surgery. Mike, like Mika Brzezinski, you know, you know, bleeding. Scott, Boy, you don't want to look like that. Her face was bleeding very badly, and Mika and Joe begged me to come to Mar-a-Lago, and I said, "You're not coming, you losers. You've been very mean to me." Okay, you've been very mean. Instead of talking about her plastic surgery, she talked about the fact that she's Big Dude Brzezinski's daughter, who's the guy yeah. who really we can blame for helping getting us into this mess in the first place back in the late Absolutely 70s. Absolutely right. Under, under Jimmy Carter, who, you know, I, I have some good things to say about Jimmy Carter, but that's that's a stain on his legacy, having Absolutely. Brzezinski as his national security. No, you're making me want to reread the Ukraine parts of A Grand Chessboard from 1997. Oh yeah, he, um, and, and he wrote another book since then too. I think maybe one or two that I really should have read that I never did. I read he, Between Two Ages way back when. Uh, and and, that's, um, that's the thing. The I, think, I think it's good to read books by people like Brzezinski or um, oh, yeah. Carol Quigley or uh, the Rockefellers or, or Kissinger because they. I mean, these yep. books are basically used as doorstops, but they pretty much map out what they want to do and what they're going to do in those books. Although right. it's very it's very dry and academic, but they, they're not bashful about it. So. I think there's a lot to be gleaned and learned from reading a book like that. If you, yep. if you can, if you can hang in there, you know, cause yeah, if you can stand <laughs> it or stay awake, not puke page turners, yeah. they are not, you know, like right. the sacred Jedi texts, they're not page turners. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to ask you, Scott, this is something kind of totally different from what we've been talking about, but I saw you tweeted about Roger C. Charles last night. And, yeah. Uh, he was, uh, an author and I, I actually, you know, I'd never heard of him until I saw your tweet, but I've always been intrigued about Oklahoma city. So basically was he like kind of a godfather of research into that? I know he had a book out about it and he uncovered yeah. a lot of things about it. So he had been a, a 2020 reporter, ABC news reporter, and he was a veteran. I forgot if he was an officer. I think he'd been an army officer. Um, and so there's this great reporter named J.D. Cash from the McCurtain Gazette in Oklahoma, who was really the first reporter to do the best work on Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, I don't know anymore how they became friends. We're so far in the future now, guys. I used to know all these stories, but um, they ended up becoming friends and they were going to write a, a book together. But then J.D. died. But then Jesse Trinidou came kind of to the fore i guess you'd say because jd had contacted him well first of all mcveigh contacted him and said i know why the feds killed your brother they mistook him for this guy named richard guthrie mm -hmm. and trinidad was like well timothy mcveigh i don't know whatever man and basically ignored it what's he going to do with it then jd cash contacted him and said so he's sitting down. He goes, yeah. He goes, listen, I think I know why the feds killed your brother. They mistook him for this guy, Richard Guthrie, who was John Doe number two, who helped McVeigh blow up that building, or we think he was. So to this day, I'm not certain it was Guthrie, but it's pretty clear that he had something to do with it. Um, Wasn't he linked to Elohim, the Elohim village or whatever it was called? Yeah, yeah, Elohim City in eastern Oklahoma. And see, the thing is, Kenny Trinidou, Jesse's brother, was just you can understand the mistaken identity and that's exactly you know quite apparently that's what happened here they, they looked alike they had the same tattoos it, it was very weird yeah, exactly right so this guy's driving the same kind of pickup truck if i remember it right it's like a red chevy pickup truck he's got red hair he's got giant upper body strength and a dragon tattoo on his right arm and he just absolutely fits the description of this same guy who's a bank robber who's friends with all these nazis the midwestern bank robbery ring 
that's tied to Timothy McVeigh. And so the theory was, or is, I guess, that, you know, they were going to pin the story on McVeigh. And that meant that this guy was going to get away with it. So they're going to murder his ass. But it was the wrong guy. And, and then they went to fight him and he put up a hell of a fight. And Jesse got his body. They were going to cremate him. But Jesse's a lawyer. His brother's a lawyer. And made sure that no way you're sending his body home right now. And then they opened the casket and they were like, holy crap, this guy's clearly been absolutely beaten to death over what was apparently one hell of a fight in that cell between him and whoever always trying to kill him. And, um, and uh, had su he had suffered major damage uh, in, in being killed. And so Jesse's been suing and he, then he just come to find out all of this stuff. So then Roger and Jesse kind of became partner, writing partners in all of this. And it was a funny little background. I forget which one is which, but I believe that Jesse Trinidu is a Hatfield and Roger Charles was a McCoy. No way. Going back and hear these two old boys coming together. Wow. To, to tell this story about the truth about the Oklahoma bombing and poor old. Now, so then um, Roger ended up writing a book with this guy, Andrew Gumbel, who was a reporter for The Guardian, and I think has a much more careful take on it than Roger would like to see the whole story. But it's good enough for me. It's called Oklahoma City, What the Investigation Missed and Why It Matters. And Gumbel really took control of the project and I think cut a lot out that Roger would have had in there and included some things that Roger thought couldn't possibly be right. Like some of the BS that Strassmeyer had told him that he believed. Um, and some, I forget what else. Um, but that book had a lot of good stuff in it. Good work by Gumbel too. Um, and they showed enough that it was these Nazis that did it, that the FBI knew it and the FBI, you know, let them get away with it because they were all informed states, you know, informants or states witnesses who would have, you know, compromised the FBI right back, essentially. It would have been, would have made them look bad that they should have stopped it and didn't. So they let all these guys get away with it. And That's they've never, they've, they've never to this day released the footage of the other guy with McVeigh getting out of the truck and they have that That's footage. It. And we do know they have that footage. That's right. And, and Jesse Trinity, through his lawsuits, has proven that, you know, in their internal communications that they've talked about this footage. Um, and at one point, somebody tried to sell it to the L.A. Times, but it didn't quite take. But it was it had been described in detail that there's two men and one of them gets out. It's not McVeigh. It's the other guy that goes to the back of the truck and apparently lights the fuse or wow. sets the timer or what whatever. What was uh, Roger C. Charles take on Terrence Yankee? I'm not certain. I don't know if I ever discussed Yankee with him. For people not familiar, Yankee was the Oklahoma City police officer who was apparently murdered, a very suspicious supposed suicide, and it seemed like he had seen too much at the scene of the crime, this kind of thing. I'd have to really go back for the details there. Um, yeah, Yankee was saying... One of the mysteries of Oklahoma City. Yeah, Yankee, I think, was saying that he had a storage locker that had a bunch of information that he wanted to try and bring out and um, he was going to do, he was telling some friends that, and they were supposed to meet for a dinner, and he never showed up to that dinner. And um, of course, he yeah, was found, found out in the field. And uh, yeah, they called it a suicide, but he clearly had bruises all over, had been beaten. Um, you know, yeah, th th those are those are very fishy aspects of it. I remember, I think 
back in the day, Dana Rohrbacher was trying to blame it on Muslims. Do you remember that? Yeah, Rohrbacher always wanted to pin it on Iraq. Yeah, Iraq. And, uh, yeah, because yeah, he's always piling around with these neocons and stuff. He's a freak. Um, I, I happen to know about Rohrbacher that he was an anarcho-capitalist until one time he took LSD out of the amusement park. And then he became a right-wing, horrible, warmongering freak Republican after that. It was LSD that made him that way? Yeah, he used to be cool, and then he took acid, and it turned him into what he what Wasn't you know he pretty, now. Wasn't he pretty tight with Putin? Mujahideen, E. Kalk, Paige Schill, pathetic wretch of a drunken old Twitterer. That's, That's amazing. Inc- That's incredible. He's good on pot for a Republican, but yeah, he's pretty bad. Imagine if we could get Donald Trump to do mushrooms or LSD. What do you think that would look like? Oh, my God. Can you imagine Donald Trump on LSD? It'd probably be the first time in his life that he laughed. Ivanka in the sky with yeah. diamonds. It'd probably, it'd probably be all about Ivanka because he, he really does lust after her. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, just, just his public statements alone, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I saw a thing where somebody pointed out that he never laughed. And then I watched the roast. Have you guys ever seen the roast of Donald yeah. Trump? on yeah, the And there are some where they land some good zingers and he smiles and nods like, okay, you got me there and I'll take yeah. that in good humor. But he actually never laughs. Not a single time. Does he just go, that was funny. Like even one good real chuckle. It doesn't Eric, Eric, quite ever go that far. Eric know? made him laugh, Scott. I'm telling you right now, Eric made Donald Trump. Oh laugh. yeah. I have to yeah. send you the, I have to send you the video where I was dressed like him at one of his rallies here in New Hampshire. And he, oh, saw yeah? me, he saw me and called me out in front of everyone and called me to the front of the stage. And we, he just he laughed and he said, hey, look at this guy. Please tell me I don't look like that. Oh, and then he looked over at Milani. He said, Milani, would you marry this guy? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Man. He had a good chuckle. He had a good chuckle. He, he did. I made the king laugh. I did. He didn't have me executed. So, yeah, that's so that was funny, great. man. No, I want to see that. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. That's yeah. We, we have a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. He is know? fun. And, you know, it's uh. Like when he was in there, some reporter just yelled at him, like, Mr. President, are we going to war with Iran? He was like, I hope not. <laughs> like, it just shows you that it was like he really didn't know what was going on or was like out of his purview. Like there were other forces. And yeah. and he's the only president. I might be wrong about this. Since Eisenhower, sitting president to utter the phrase military industrial. Conflict. Oh, that's absolutely true. And he did, too. And he said, you got to admit they I quote him in the book. He says, hey, they like war. This is a, a very real thing, Scott. What they're doing, you know. The, yep. the, mili- the military industrial complex is a very real thing. You know, he also had a specific policy based on appeasing the military industrial complex. He said, you know, explicitly, we want Lockheed and Raytheon and Boeing and Northrop Grumman, so many jobs. those defense jobs and make all that money. There's so a great article you guys got to read in the New York Times. I know it's the New York Times, but still, a lot of this is horse's mouth stuff. Yeah. From Pete Navarro, the trade representative, who because they put all these restrictions on China, that really, you know, all the trade restrictions, that really screwed up a lot of American manufacturing. So they said, well, how do we make it up to American manufacturing? Well, they don't have power to just completely give welfare bailout money to every American um, manufacturing firm or whatever. So they says, well, one thing that we can do is we can boost defense spending. And so they went and made a deal with uh, Pete Navarro, made a deal with the guys at Raytheon. I said, we're going to spend all this extra money on Raytheon products. We're going to veto the Senate resolution to try to stop and House resolution to try to stop the Yemen war. And we're going to keep the Yemen war going so that Raytheon can make money because that's our payback 
to industry is to help just this very, very narrow segment of industry make money off a of war while we're screwing over the people who are just trying to import and export, uh, you know, real goods for regular civilian purposes, you know, vehicles and, and, uh, you know, bigger ticket items. I know my, my cousin was in the restaurant business and said like, well, where the hell am I going to get an oven and a stove now for my restaurant? I mean, these restaurants need these giant, you know, um, industrial stoves. business size. Yeah. These massive pieces of kitchen equipment that you can't just, um, you know, that American companies just don't make anymore. They haven't made for a very long time. And so where do we get them now? We just don't get them anywhere. Right. Like this was all of this was getting screwed up. Well, and then this was Trump's idea of a big bailout. And then, you know, he really did say, look, the Saudis spent four hundred and fifty billion dollars on weapons and they employ millions of Americans uh, or more than a million Americans uh, jobs are dependent on. And this is just a lie. This is the stupidest goddamn thing anybody ever claimed. It's just ridiculously not true. They spend three measly stinking billion dollars a year on American weapons, even at war. And that three billion dollars is nothing, right? That's the budget of one county in the poorest part of Florida, right? That's nothing. And um, uh, and and millions of jobs depend on it. No, more like 30,000. And a lot of those are overseas. They're not even in this country. So in other words, is America dependent on this defense spending? No. In no way whatsoever. A small He's got to lie by a factor of 150 to pretend that there's anything that we have to gain from this whatsoever. You know, it's yeah. just a few. And, and look, I mean, it doesn't get the coverage, but I know that you guys know that Yemen is just a bloody hell of a massacre of it's, war. It's, it's the so most sad. unjust goddamn it, thing in the world it's going disgusting. on. It's disgusting. It's just for the money. Just for the money. Like the land between Canada and Mexico. We're just a bunch of mercenaries for use by the Israelis and the Saudis. Just a bunch of tax cows to be farmed. Uh, a, a bunch of engineers to put together F-15s for them so that they can kill people. And that has nothing to do with our national interests whatsoever. Nothing to do with securing life and liberty for the American people whatsoever. And it's just sickening. And it just goes on. And then, and that's the problem with a guy like Donald Trump, man, is he hates a lot of the same things we hate, but he doesn't care about any of the things we care about. Wow, he just doesn't. He cares about himself up. only. And well, so that's it. We you knew know? he wasn't going to do anything about Khashoggi's death in the embassy. I mean, he, he just, right. he, he even basically was just upfront about it. Like, yeah, it's, business it's, business. it's one guy. It's just one guy trying to get a pass, uh, marriage certificate. You know, just, and you know what's funny about that is, you I, know, I, believe, I almost wrote that off. I kind of wrote that off because I was like, screw that guy, Khashoggi. I hate him, man. He was really bad on Syria. And not that what happened to him was okay, but just compared to what's going on in Yemen, that right. TV news doesn't care about at all, that the newspapers don't care about at all. But then Mohammed bin Salman kills one guy that you have met before, and now that matters? Like starving little babies to death, little toddlers laying down dying. But then it is true that like, Man, what they did to that guy is insane. Can you imagine oh. the president of the United States? You know, <laughs> I, I imagine believe... Richard Nixon saying, I want John Anderson cut up into little pieces. And, right. you know, I mean, holy shit, dude. Dude, it's dark. This, it's dark. 
Yeah. And then because because Ben Salman is such an absolutely Hitlerian genocidal figure, we all like write that off. Like, yeah, sometimes he cuts up journalists with bone saws. What he does. You know, He's got yeah. a great smile. He's got a great smile. Mohammed Bonesaw is a very nice guy, Scott. Okay, don't talk ill of him. Very nice guy. He, he spent four hundred and fifty billion dollars on American weapons. All these jobs, oh, please. Trump went over to Saudi Arabia and he grabbed the Dragon Ball Z pussy, the globe. That was oh, that, yeah. that, that was one of the highlights too. When he did that, they were all there with Saruman's globe. And he had the sword. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Trump was he had the sword. That thing was that was the most humiliating thing, frankly. Watching Trump. He shows up at this thing, they give him a sword, they do a little dance, and he's completely won over. Wow, all these people are celebrating me. They put on a red carpet for me. I'm so spe- I feel so adored and important right he now. Loves, he loves you guys can have whatever you want. Yeah. I'll do whatever you want the just king, for he, flattering me. He does like having his butt kissed. You know? You, you, think it's you possible, guys must Scott? have spent, spent $6,000 on this presentation today. My goodness, you know? You think it's possible, Scott, that it was uh, Rand Paul on the golf course and Tucker Carlson speaking to the emir through the TV that prevented all-out war with Iran or more escalation? I don't, I don't know about the golf course. I don't know about Rand. I think it was um, I think it was Doug McGregor on Tucker Carlson's show that talked him out of bombing right, Iran. Right, Tucker, yeah. Yep. McGregor said, he goes, listen, this president is not stupid enough to make this mistake. He knows that Lyndon Johnson ruined his presidency with Vietnam. And he knows that W. Bush ruined his presidency with Iraq. And he's not going to do the same thing as that. Like, what a great way to frame it. And I remember watching that live and being just like, oh, my God, thank you, Doug. Thank you, man. Like, I don't know what I could have possibly advised him to say better than that. Don't be like W. Bush, man. Please, I know that you know better. I know you're smarter than that idiot to make that same stupid mistake as him. And I think that that worked. I think that McGregor said, we don't. And you know what he said, too, in that interview? He said something very close to, we don't have to fight Iran. There ain't no reason we have to fight Iran. And you know what? Coming from a guy like that, okay. You can take that to the bank. Good enough for me. Smartest guy on the East Coast says, forget about it. You don't need to. Okay. He butted the king right up, you know? Yep. And I said, I, I go in there, Scott. I do it, but I take the oil. We didn't get anything. So it's like you were saying earlier. It's not so much that he's against it, but he was like, well, we didn't get anything out of it. Like, right. he's against it because it doesn't benefit what he thinks would be a bottom line. That's right. So, and that was why McGregor phrased it as like, this will be bad for him. This would be this would destroy his presidency. His not that it would be bad for the army. Not that it would be bad for Iran. Not for like the poor Iranian babies caught in the crossfire. But this would destroy his presidency. This would destroy all that he is trying to do for himself because these hawks are trying to make him do this thing that they want him to do. And so Trump was like, hey, yeah, that's right. I'm the him in that story. And that is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used okay. to send tweets to Trump all the time where I would say. <laughs> oh, I missed him on Twitter. Oh, I used to tweet at him and say, tall, wealth, success, victory, and the war in Yemen. Like, you know, um, limousine, skyscraper, gold, success, victory. Let's get out of Afghanistan. You know, like, and I just do that over and over as best I could. It's like, if he's going to read my tweets at all, 
I want to just get him thinking like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wealth, tall, gold, Scott, building. Scott, <laughs> you I, know? I, I had that deal in place and the, the Taliban didn't kill anybody when I was in there. And as soon as Brandon announced the date, they killed a bunch of them. So that was a real beauty. That was your beauty. But it's, it's just, it's not, it's not, he doesn't care about genocide. He doesn't care about the death of innocence. It's all optics. No. It's all about his ego. So right. I think if he runs, he he, win, he wins the prize. He gets the nomination again. I agree. I agree. And then I think that'll be the best setup for us because as much attention as he'll draw, the guy doesn't know how to talk about anything but himself. And he doesn't have a, a perception of politics beyond whatever CNN is saying on cable TV news. Whereas our guy this next time, man, is he going to be talking about power in America and what it's all about. And it's going to be, can you imagine if we have, whether it's Biden or whether it's Harris, and I don't think the Democrats could possibly nominate either anyone, but those two, if Biden drops out, it has to be Harris. They can't overthrow or throw her overboard for a white guy or something like that. They Mayor just couldn't. G Even yeah, the, the optics on the Democratic side just would not allow for them to overthrow the first woman of color to be vice president. It is but absolutely her turn to they're run. Try, they're and, trying to shoehorn Crooked back in there, though, man. She gave she, nah, nah, you nah, don't, nah. You don't think that's bullshit? Happen. And she couldn't get the nomination anyway. They wouldn't get the the Democratic Party would not support Hillary over Kamala Harris. They just wouldn't do it at this point. They couldn't do it at this point. Um. And Kamala Harris wouldn't bow down to that either. She would want to fight about it. But then the joke is that Kamala Harris's IQ was like 101. And she's just, you know, completely has absolutely nothing to say about anything ever. She just, when you ask her a question, she just repeats back the question to you again. And what are we going to do about inflation? What are we going to do about inflation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, so, and then you got Donald Trump on the other side who goes, me, 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 me all day. And I think that's a very good opportunity, um, you know, for the libertarian to step up and talk about what really matters to the American people and to take on to criticize our government for the worst things that it does first and build a new consensus in America about a new and a better way forward here. And I wanted to do that too, Scott. We need to celebrate the white pills and the good things when they happen, man. You you got that really nice shout out from Dave Smith on the Joe Rogan experience, the biggest podcast on the planet. Millions of people heard your name, heard antiwar.com and those ideas cool. and your work. That's huge, man. We got to celebrate that. Absolutely right. No, it was great. I got thousands of new followers on Twitter out of it. So did antiwar.com. And uh, antiwar.com also got a big boost in unique visitors and views and whatever. I don't know all the numbers, but I know we got a big boost out of that. And um, the the books all got a big boost, the audio book. And um, both of my books, uh, Fool's Aaron Enough Already, also got a big boost out of it too. Um, and then, yeah, I, I kind of am really excited to see how this plays out over the next little while, what those people say that like, you know, because we do hear from people. They do say... There are people who say they heard uh, about us from the last time Dave was on the Rogan show or, mm -hmm. you know, from some other way that we've been brought up. Or Kennedy. Um, whenever I'm on Kennedy, Kennedy always says I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute. But last night she said he's also the editorial director of Antiwar.com. I saw that. Worth another little bit, too. And we're in the middle of our fun drive, too. So that was really nice. And, you know, I know that her producers just think me and Dave are great because we'll just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. You are great. And we always have something interesting to say. Uh, and and the, the Republican and the Democrat, they're just never quite as good. You know, they just 
sock puppets. They got their kind of party talking points. Mm -hmm. And then it's Dave's turn and Dave just wrecks them, man. And it's just, and if you guys saw the show last night, you know, he established what a Trump supporter he ain't by talking about the war in Yemen. And he turned right around and talked about how fake Russiagate was. And he just, the Republican got to go first and talk about Russiagate. And he said some things. But what the Republicans said about Russiagate does not compare to my man. It just doesn't. Even though right. he's got every incentive to, to do that and get that right and, and say that well. But he just can't. He just doesn't. He hadn't thought as hard about this stuff as we have. He just isn't as, as interested in how the FBI and the CIA had the uh, had anywhere near the audacity to try to frame up the sitting president of the United States this way and the, the way that they did and all. I mean, Dave is probably more pissed off about it than the Republican. And so he has more to say about it because to him, it's not about Trump. To him, it's who in the hell does the FBI think they are that they can take on an elected president? You just can't do that. You know what I mean? So it's just his answer is three times as long and, and 10 times as better. Yeah. Just every time. And so, you know, in fact, when he was going off, I was sitting in the chair because I was coming on next for the next segment, you know? Yeah. And his producer says in my ear, oh, I bet you're loving this. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, of course, dude, he's killing it. Absolutely. Like I, I live for this. I think a and lot of people said, are hungry for that. Yeah, she said, no, we treat Dave the same way as you. Just let him go. Let him go. Don't interrupt, man. He's talking. And yeah, so keep, they keep, just uh, know they come to rely on us. They know that when they get us up there that we're going to knock it out of the park for them. And so... You know, I hope that sets the precedent more, that people see that more. And you know what? I haven't known them that long. I'm just kind of right at the point where I'm going to start recommending some guests to them, too. I think I know some people who could also be really great on there. You know what I mean? I know well, quite a few. 100%. Um, you know, so, you yeah, know like, I mean, like you say, Scott, and you've said this in other interviews, um, you are pushing for the truth. And that's what we've been trying to do with Jackman Radio for these 100 episodes. If you go back and look at your thousands of episodes, you're not interested in that left-right bullshit. You're not trying nope. to play some red versus blue game. And that's what Eric and I have, have not done since the 04 election. And it's, um, you know, it, it, some people will alienate you and they'll, they'll not want anything to do with you. But I think others are very hungry for that. And right. whether, it's, whether it's a libertarian perspective or a Green Party or truly independent, like I like what, what Ron Paul did. I think it was in 2008. He did not endorse uh, Romney or, or, excuse me, McCain. He said vote for third party when he spoke right. at, that, at that convention, I think, in Minnesota. And um, the truth always wins out. And, and you know, we don't always get it right. And when we get corrected or there are corrections to be made, we acknowledge that we didn't get it right and uh, correct ourselves and move on from it. So yeah. I think that's, that's why, like, Fox and Friends or Kennedy is looking for a different voice, you know, right. for a, a different alternative because – there is no left or right agenda. We're not making millions of dollars here. And we're just doing, uh, you know, our passion and, and saying how we feel about shit. So. Right. And look, yeah, exactly right. It's the authenticity that sells in the end. I don't have, you know, I don't sit here and pretend to have a PhD or a bunch of foreign language experience or any of these kinds of things, man. But my listeners know I ain't a liar. And they know I'm here trying to do my best to, to get them what's right to tell the truth. I don't. I don't need to lie you out of war. I just need to truth you out of war. They're the ones who got to lie you into it. Exactly. They got more money. Yeah. They got the media behind them. They have a very powerful media and military industrial complex. Um, and I think early in your career, Scott, before you got interested in all this, you were driving a, a taxi, right? Yeah. 
When, when I got yeah. interested in this, I was picking up shit at a grocery store. Literally, I was bagging groceries and picking up shit in the bathroom at a grocery store when I got into this stuff. So yeah. we're just blue-collar dudes, man. Read this one quickly for Scott. Scott, I'm using your books to help the Missouri LP candidates have great talking points tomorrow at my convention. Great. That's great to hear. I'm That's doing, awesome. uh, I'm not going to Missouri, but I am doing Libertarian State Conventions all spring long here. Um, you come in to support New Hampshire? Of the Caucus, but also just in support of pushing non-interventionism in the Libertarian Party and, and getting people thinking along these lines as much as possible. So that's great news, and I'm really happy to hear that. And I really think the Libertarian Party is growing and becoming much better now uh, with the influx, all the influx of new people. It's the Ron Paul revolution. Okay? We want to make the Libertarian Party represent what we care about. Anti-war, anti-Fed, anti-federal police state, all this crony capitalism and corruption on Wall Street and the military-industrial complex, and all the censorship and this, you know, all the worst things that are going on in the country right now. We're the ones who thought all this through. We're the ones who got the right answers for it. So um, now is absolutely our time. Maximum freedom. Yeah, we're, not, we're not even trying to be braggadocious about it, but freedom is very popular. To, to borrow a <laughs> phrase from Ron Paul, the young kids like freedom. They like wall and they like freedom. That's they right. like it. Well, That's Scott, right. we'll, we'll wrap it up there, man. So just tell everybody where they can find you and, and how they can support your work and what you're doing and uh, everything. Okay. LibertarianInstitute.org. I'm the director there. Antiwar.com. I'm editorial director there. And ScottHorton.org. I got 5,600-something shows for you going back to 2003 there. Uh, and at YouTube.com slash ScottHortonShow. I'm on Twitter at ScottHortonShow. And I wrote these books, first of all, the transcripts of all my Ron Paul interviews, the great Ron Paul. I never brag about that one as much because uh, I didn't really write it. You know what I mean? But I am very proud of it. It's my transcripts of all my interviews to Dr. Paul, plus the speech I gave about how much I love the guy. Uh, that's the great Ron Paul. And then um, I wrote two books, Fool's Air and Time to End the War in Afghanistan and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And they're both available now in audiobook too. And Enough Already is all our Middle East wars since Jimmy Carter in 1979 and all the way through. And, and taking you through and showing all the cause and effect and the through line of, uh, you know, why American Middle East policy is the way it is. And and right up until right about a year ago when I published it. So uh, pretty up to date for you there. And then if you live in L.A., I'm on the radio on Sunday mornings at 830 on KPFK 90.7 FM. That's awesome. Well, you heard it there, folks, from the man himself, the warlock of foreign policy. If you've got friends or family who aren't so sure about what we've been doing in the American empire, send them Scott Horton's work. I do it. You can do it. It's easy and it's good for humanity. So I want to thank Scott for joining us tonight for our 100th episode. This has been a lot of fun. We'll definitely want to have you on again. And uh, everyone for tuning in, thank you so much for joining us. And please support Jackman Radio, patreon.com slash Jackman Radio, and follow us on Twitter and all social media. And we got so much more cool stuff in store for 2022. And uh, we hope you all are doing well and you enjoy your weekend. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.